Impiraressa. From the Venetian. Impirar. To thread. Name given in Venice to the craftswomen who used to thread colored glass beads with long needles. Episode 2. Tomato Girl Summer My Ass. Hello, I'm Anna Battista. Welcome to Impiraressa. So it's September and autumn is almost here. Around this time of the year, fashion industry insiders and fans are usually busy following the spring-summer runway shows in New York, London, Milan and Paris with their relentless space and jam-packed shadows. However, amidst this fashion frenzy, I'd like to pause for a moment and contemplate the trend that captured my attention this past summer. Being crewed in June and July, especially with the release of Greta Gerwig's Barbie film. However, as time passed, Barbie faded, making way for the Tomato Girl Summer. Tomato or Tomato Girl Summer according to your pronunciation, your favorite pronunciation. So fueled by TikTok users and endorsed by major fashion magazines like Vogue, the Tomato Girl Summer Look encompassed various clothing, accessories and vibes. Um, think of flowing, prairie, breezy sundresses, linen skirts and shirts knotted at the waist. Complement this with uh, espadrilles or flat leather sandals, chic yet practical designs, ideally red, or white, or combined in uh, gingham patterns or fruit and vegetable prints. To complete the look, oversized sunglasses and a woven basket or wicker bag were recommended accessories. For hairstyles, messy or headscarf tucked here. And you could recreate obviously this look with designer pieces or opt for more budget-friendly fast fashion alternatives. Now, the aesthetics um, extended to a particular scenario. The luckiest tomato girls, those with the means, ventured to markets in France, Italy or Spain in search of fresh vegetables or for an authentic feast with their guests or at least that's what their Instagram feeds suggested as they were doing. Romance filled the air for them, perhaps a love story flavored by the Mediterranean Sea and the scent of oregano, basil and parsley. Others could only dream of it, contenting themselves with pizza slices, dripping with tomato and mozzarella while sipping on spritzes wherever they were, from sidewalk cafes to shopping malls. A few celebrities adopted the look, others just casually dressed in red or white and were instantly taken as examples of the wider adoption of the Tomato Girl summer trend. For example, Jane Birkin, who died in July, posthumously became a loose representation of the style when photos of her strolling down a London street in 1973 carrying a wicker basket re-emerged. 
tomatoes frequently made appearances in fashion and um, past collections. Uh, uh, remember, you may remember the tomato prints on Dolce & Gabbana's spring summer 2013 dresses or the tomato motifs painted on Modo's bodies at J.W. Anderson's autumn winter 2023 collection. Now, more tomato themed designs uh, are currently um, on display at the Food and Fashion Exhibition uh, at the Museum of, at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. There, the food theme is explored uh, via embroideries, applique elements, prints and accessories. And among the items, you will also be able to spot Cynthia Rowley's um, 1993 tomato print dress and Judith Lieber's 1994 tomato rhinestone minodier. If you break the tomato girl's summer aesthetic, you realize uh, it was a blend of various inspirations that created an extended remix of stereotypical images, films and moods often referenced without even knowing much about them. So imagine borrowing uh, the moods of Federico Fellini's La Dolce Vita, the Vespa scooter from William Wyler's Roman Holiday, Dolce & Gabbana's regional exploitation, mainly geared towards Sicily and Puglia, the second series of the White Lotus filmed on location in Sicily, and the hideous pictures featured in Sophia Lawrence's 1971 cookbook In the Kitchen with Love. Now, I don't know if any of you remembers this book, but um, in it there are quite a few pictures portraying the film star dressed as a peasant girl, serving a parmigiana or languidly sitting with a forlorn expression at tables laden with delicacies made by chefs obsessed with meat. All against backdrops designed by uh, an amateur taxidermist. But I'm digressing here. Anyway, yeah, any listeners who are traumatized by this book, feel free to get in touch and we can organize a support group. But back to the Tomato Girl Summer. So it wasn't a strict dress code, but rather a fluid concept, a state of mind or a mood, perhaps even a yearning for a vacation. Some brands also started offering tomato-scented candles, diffusers and fragrances to complete the fantasy, providing a scent-driven staycation for fashionistas unable to afford a Mediterranean getaway. Lueb was one of the pioneers of this trend and uh, it released the uh, candles and room sprays in the summer of 2020, so the first summer of the COVID-19 pandemic. And at the time, uh, it seemed almost desirable, as many of us began to think we might never return to the real world. Now, if you work as a journalist, you may occasionally receive press releases about these products. And they're usually veritable origins of um, aromatic... Uh, spices and uh, they mention for example uh, ripe tomatoes, basil, oregano, black pepper and they promise you a Sicilian garden's dinner party experience um, and they they almost evoke 
the same desire as the description of the timbalo scene in Giuseppe Tommasi di Lampedusa's The Leopard. You know, you remember this description where there is this monumental dish that exudes a mist of blended aromas. Now, I'm Italian and I'm, I currently live in Italy. Um, and I do like tomatoes, but I feel that rather than having a carefree tomato girl summer, most of us here had a dried tomato pesto summer. It was indeed a summer of scorching heat waves that left little room for leisurely shopping with wicker baskets, as the primary goal was surviving the sweltering weather, especially for those unable to go on vacation uh, who stayed in the city. My reservations about the tomato girl summer aesthetic aren't due to it being a superficial portrayal of an idealized touristy image or a desire to inhabit picturesque villages exclusively during the summer only to escape during other seasons because you know it would be too dull living there. If you like that aesthetic, if you want to believe that in Italy we go around listening to Otello Prefazio like you do in the White Lotus soundtrack, well, who am I to burst your bubble by pointing out that most of us probably don't even know who the heck Otello Prefazio is? Now, uh, so, so why do I dislike the Tomato Girl Summer aesthetic? Well, I've examined the Tomato Girl Summer aesthetic from a personal perspective and I've pinpointed two reasons why it doesn't convince me. Uh, first, the Tomato Girl seems immune to sweating. Um, our basket contains only fresh vegetables and other delicacies. Uh, but no mineral salt supplements to fight heat waves. Her leisurely walks at the farmer's market and stops at charming cafes also didn't seem to involve impromptu visits to the pharmacy to check her plummeting blood pressure during a heat stroke. So in essence, uh, the idyllic tomato girl didn't experience the physical melting that many of us endured in several Italian cities when temperatures soared to 40 degrees centigrade and beyond. She remained unfazed by the climate emergency even as Sicily witnessed temperatures nearing 47 degrees centigrade with workers struggling or perishing in the extreme heat. I also harbor a deep-seated aversion to the tomato trend due to, the, to, to an ancestral trauma. Let me explain this to you. Um, in Italy, some families still prepare tomato sauce for the winter during the summer months. So this is a tradition that brings families together. It involves buying copious amounts of tomatoes, cooking them, transforming them into a smooth tomato puree and bottling it. Now, as store-bought sauces gained popularity over the years, many families, including mine, abandoned this tradition. But uh, for some, this is a sacred rite, an essential act of loyalty to your family, so you, you gotta join the rite anyway. 
So, um, for example, my friend Vincenzo, and, uh, who in real life is a musician and a lawyer, in around August he turns into a tomato sauce maker and uh, um, prepares all this all the sauce. You can actually hear him now in the background doing it. Can you do it? Can you hear him? Yes. So this summer between August and the first week of September, while I spent most of my days with the energy of a dead sloth, Vincenzo expertly processed almost 300 kilograms of tomatoes and bottled them while uh, carving himself a future in food-related ASMR by doing this recording. Vincenzo, I'm a, I admit I'm extremely envious of what you did, but I still wouldn't do the tomato sauce because I still carry childhood memories of visiting relatives in the mountains in August and ending up having to wear clothes that carried the strong scent of wood burning and tomatoes boiling. This happened because as soon as laundry was hung out to dry, a tomato sauce enthusiast from the family or a neighbor would hear the ancestral call and commence the sauce making process. Therefore, a tomato-scented candle, in my case, reawakens memories of this rather bizarre summer days for me. Synesthesia, or maybe sensorial experience? Well, in my case, it's more sensorial distress. But tomatoes are causing me concern also for other reasons sometimes referred to as love apples and believed to possess aphrodisiac qualities. Tomatoes are evolving into a symbol of modern slavery and we may just be ignoring it. In August 2018, two tragic accidents in southern Italy near the city of Foggia in the Puglia region claimed the lives of 16 foreign agricultural workers within just 48 hours. In one devastating crash, 12 people, all of them migrant workers, lost their lives as their crowded van collided head-on with a tomato-laden lorry. These workers had just finished a grueling 12-hour shift picking tomatoes under the scorching sun. They were being taken back to their makeshift accommodations when the accident occurred. Two days earlier, there had been another accident four African farm workers lost their lives in a collision involving a tomato truck, while four others sustained severe injuries. Thousands of workers, some from Eastern Europe, but the majority hailing from Africa, in particular for Gam from Gambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Somalia and Sudan, reached this area every summer to pick tomatoes. Some of them have valid work permits, but they seldom receive the mandated benefits and salaries established by the law. Others instead do not have Italian residency permits and proper work contracts. All of them, desperate for employment, accept jobs in the fields regardless of meager wages and excessively long hours far below union standards. 
Many of these uh, foreign agricultural workers live in deplorable conditions in remote rural towns and makeshift settlements. There have been cases in which migrants died during fires in the shanty towns. Others suffered from heart attacks while working in the fields and died. Currently, migrants crossing the Mediterranean from Africa often arrive in Lampedusa and are relocated in other regions as the Lampedusa hotspot is overcrowded. The main reception centers in the southern regions are often controlled by criminal organizations. Agricultural slavery and organized crime go indeed hand in hand in these areas. Here, the agricultural demand for seasonal workers is high and the main aim of the recruiters remains obtaining maximum labor at minimal cost. Migrants continue to suffer exploitation for profit through the caporalato system. A gang master or caporale is subcontracted the recruitment and payment of day laborers. This figure already existed in Italy in the 19th and early 20th centuries and was a sort of mafioso executing the orders of the landlord. But some things have changed. Now the landowner is indeed often a mafioso and the caporale carries out their orders. Usually it is the caporale who collects workers from pickup points with a minibus and takes them to the fields. Workers have to pay transportation to and from the fields. They have to purchase their food and in case of illness or accidents, they have to pay the caporale to be transported to the hospital. Work starts in the early hours around 3 or 4 a.m. and goes on for 12 or 15 hours a day, seven days a week. Wages are meager and they often depend from the type of fruit or vegetables the workers are collecting but it's usually a few euros to fill huge crates that may contain hundreds of kilos of products. Contracts practically do not exist. Besides, gang masters frequently withhold the workers' identity documents and wages. Although, theoretically, the workers are free to leave, their circumstances compel them to remain. Migrant workers, notably those picking tomatoes in Puglia, and especially those without the necessary proper documentation, find themselves vulnerable to exploitation as they are outside the protection of the law. For them it is impossible to report exploitation for fear of being exposed as illegal immigrants. For many of them who are denied asylum, disappearing to the agricultural slums is a preferable option to risking deportation. The attention is currently focused on migrants arriving to Italy and on how to send them back, but nobody talks about agricultural workers anymore. An eerie silence surrounds this issue. At one point, even right-wing parties highlighted this situation, using it as a deterrent to discourage further arrivals in Italy. However, as migrants continued to arrive by boat, it seemed more logical not to mention agricultural slavery anymore. The United Nations Special Rapporteur on Contemporary Forms of Slavery visited Italy in October 2018 to examine the exploitation of migrant workers in the agricultural sector. The 
results of that visit were published in July 2019. The report mentioned the Caburalato system and highlighted how uh, around 430,000 workers, the majority being migrant workers from Africa, Eastern Europe, the Balkans, India and Pakistan, were at risk each year being employed through Caburali. Of them, over 100,000 may suffer severe exploitation. But there haven't been any updated reports from the United Nations Special Rapporteur since, that, since this one. The fruits of the labor of these workers often find their way onto the shelves of both Italian and international supermarkets, unbeknownst to consumers who remain unaware of the hardships endured by these laborers. Every year ahead of harvest, certain su supermarkets hold auctions to determine supply prices for fresh produce. At these auctions, producers compete reducing prices, and usually the winning bid in the first round sets the starting point for the second round. As a result, agricultural goods such as tomatoes and oranges are not priced based on their production expenses, but rather on the minimal amount that powerful supermarkets are willing to offer. To reduce expenses for producers and conform to the supermarket's pricing strategies, the only option is to cut labor costs. One could draw a parallel between ultra-fast fashion retailers and supermarkets. Both aim to pay as little as possible and rely on low-cost labor. While there are checks in place, certification bodies hired by companies and supermarket suppliers to perform ethical audits of their operations often conduct remote checks or infrequently visit the farms. In a nutshell, we may be buying something that we think was made following ethical standards, but actually it's not. Again, we could draw a parallel with the fashion industry, particularly the fast fashion giants that assert their collections are created sustainably, but in reality, they engage in greenwashing. Certification bodies do the same for supermarkets, inadvertently making consumers complicit in supporting 21st century slavery when buying Italian produce, going from fresh tomatoes to tin tomato sauce. Changing the situation is difficult for a variety of reasons. While large portions of Italian agriculture remain untouched by organized crime, mafia has infiltrated the food supply chain, acquiring lands and influencing agricultural production, but also transportation, distribution and fruit and vegetable markets. There are actually still family-run companies and virtuous farmers, people trying to set an example, but they are often boycotted and even attacked by criminal organizations. The marginalization of migrant workers comes with advantages for criminal organizations and large companies. The more vulnerable and homeless immigrants are, the lower the costs of employing them. Yet, while the current Italian right-wing government is intent on weaving an anti-immigrant rhetoric and in finding ways to combat immigration and remove, and remove humanitarian protection, Italy needs migrants to work in the agricultural sector, as proved also during the COVID-19 emergency. In May 2020, to avoid the collapse of the country's agriculture, 
the Italian government introduced a program permitting undocumented migrants to apply for a six-month work permit for legal residency. However, the eligibility criteria excluded most seasonal laborers who have been working in Italy without legal status for years, despite their vital role in the annual harvest. In Italy, migrant workers often move according to the seasons. You may frequently encounter in front of supermarkets young men and women offering to assist you carrying your shopping bags or asking for spare change. During harvesting seasons for oranges, tomatoes, grapes or strawberries, some of them often vanish. I recently spoke to a Nigerian guy I know who usually hangs around my, my local supermarket and he was eagerly awaiting confirmation to work in a grape picking in Fossacesia, in the Abruzzo region, the central southern uh, part of, of Italy. And he told me, I pray to God that the padrone calls me. Now it's important to note that the word padrone lit literally means owner, as in landowner, but can also be translated as master, a word with terrifying implications. When we think about masters and slaves, maybe one of the first things that comes to our minds is the cotton industry in the United States between the end of the 1700s and 1860. Cotton plantations are actually making a comeback. In June this year, the Armani Group announced on World Environment Day an experimental agroforestry plantation in southern Italy, the Apulia Regenerative Cotton Project. This initiative aims to introduce cotton cultivation in Puglia using an environmentally friendly agroforestry system. The project is coordinated by the European Forest Institute and the Italian Council for Agricultural Research and Agrarian Economics in partnership with Pretaterra, a specialized agroforestry center. The goal is to create an experimental agroforestry a cotton site to scientifically assess sustainable cotton production in Italy with an emphasis on low carbon footprint. The trial began with a one hectare cotton field in May 2023 and will expand to five hectares by 2024. It's interesting though to note how the press release about this project was focused on sustainability and on all the partners and collaborators, but didn't mention anything about workers who may be employed in this venture. An environmentally friendly uh, project or a system may be great news for the local community, but we can only hope that it will be ethical and employ some migrant workers as well, not as slaves, but as properly registered labor force. Actually, we could even try and turn a product like tomato or cotton into something to raise awareness. In the mid-19th century, an anonymous African-American man probably traveling on the Underground Railroad crossed the Ohio River from Kentucky to Ripley, carrying tomato seeds with him. In Ripley, home of Ranking House, a key stop on the route north to freedom, he shared the seeds with a white woman named Aunt Lou. She in turn later passed the, the seeds on to her great nephew, Francis Parker. Years later, 
is share the seeds with other um, gardening enthusiasts. The tomato variety was initially known as Aunt Lou. Now in plant biology and zoology, the individual responsible for breeding, discovering or introducing a new variety or species typically has the privilege of naming it. However, enslaved people treated as property were denied any rights to intellectual property. In this case, the plant was eventually renamed Aunt Lou's Underground Railroad Tomato for its connection to the Underground Railroad route and as a tribute to the contributions of enslaved people to American agriculture. In 2018, the seed was included in the Slow Food Arc of Taste, highlighting its cultural and historical importance. Like seeds, narratives are dynamic. They grow, expand and travel, often in unpredictable ways. And so we move from a fleeting trend to personal memories, from human activities to human tragedies and the story of a seed. The story of Aunt Lou's Underground Railroad Tomato highlights the significance of seeds and food, even in dire circumstances, emphasizing the act of seed sharing that has shaped agricultural communities throughout history, an act of kindness. Maybe we should have something like that, and we could turn the tomato into a symbol of rebirth and not of slavery. Some are actually already doing so. Ivan Sagnet, born in Cameroon, but living since 2007 in Italy, where he moved to study engineering at the Polytechnic University of Turin, worked in Nardo in southern Italy as a tomato picker. After discovering the Capolato system that he compared to modern-day slavery, he organized a strike against the inhumane condition, working conditions on the farm, and the strike successfully led to reforms uh, to the regulations for working conditions in the agricultural industry. Yang mastering is now a crime in Italy, thanks to law number 199 of 2016, which modifies an article of the Penance Code. Sagnet went on to found the NOCAP Association dedicated to combating Caburalato and advocating for the rights of agricultural laborers. The organization also offers ethically sourced fresh produce, harvested respecting workers' rights, as well as ethically processed bottled and canned tomato sauce. To enhance transparency regarding a product's origin, production methods, human rights compliance, and environmental considerations, the association also introduced the NOCAP label that aims to guide consumers towards ethically conscious purchasing decisions while promoting fair practices in the agricultural supply chain. Represented by six raised hands, the label assesses, assesses various criteria including fair wages, safe working conditions, sustainable materials and environmentally friendly technologies. This initiative seeks to combat labor exploitation and raise awareness among consumers while complying with current regulations for agricultural businesses. Thanks to one of the no-cap projects, after years of exploitation, in June this year, Tina Agbonima 
a 34-year-old Nigerian, started working for an agricultural farm in the area of Caserta and became the first woman to drive an anti-exploitation truck in Italy. Each day, the 34-year-old drives herself and her colleagues to the farm where they work on a regular contract and with honest wages, rather than traveling in one of the trucks typically used by gangmasters to transport their workers to the fields. This is a great story of a very cool and brave tomato girl. So what should we make of the tomato trend? Trends are temporary, ephemeral. They have short life and after a few weeks, they eventually fade away. Right now, fashion magazines are promoting coffee-themed makeup and uh, autumnal color palettes, including uh, cappuccino, chocolate brown, caramel hues like those worn by Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, was, was seen sporting these shades in September. Vogue calls the shade this uh, uh, style pumpkin spice latte dressing. Surely these stones are more fitting for this time of the year. But again, but again um, I kind of find, find it bizarre that this new trend is again linked with food and in particular with a product connected again with slavery. Well, well maybe I'm reading too much into it. Anyway, if you still fancy the tomato vibes and uh, you have the means to do it, maybe you can even invest in a super expensive A-line vintage paper dress adorned with prints of Campbell's tomato soup labels like the ones showcased in the collections at the Metropolitan Museum of Art or at the Andy Warhol Museum. You see, in the end, it doesn't matter on which trend bandwagon you decide to jump on. Caramel, coffee, chocolate, tomato, pumpkin spice latte. Be what you want to be. But remember, trends pass. Human exploitation instead persists. Individually, we may feel powerless. But when we unite and collectively question the systems, producers and products perpetuating this exploitation, we become a force for positive transformation. So it's crucial not to turn a blind eye to the suffering of others, because while trends come and go, the scars of trauma endure.
This podcast is brought to you by Arenabernation and Cut Music. All the music featured in this episode is fully licensed through Cut Music.